Well, hey, we're going to continue our series called The Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit and various things that need to be dealt with with that. And again, next week, we're going to talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and what that means to people. And so it'll be a, just an Easter Sunday uh, sermon and, and event. Uh, but today, we're going to continue on with our series. We're on week five of The Spirit. What we've talked about so far is uh, let's not resist the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Uh, let's not resist. It can be easy to resist the Holy Spirit because we don't understand the things of the Spirit, because we may have met some strange people that are associated with the Holy Spirit and uh, for various other reasons as well. But hey, let's not resist the Holy Spirit because God is good. The Father, Son and the Spirit, all the whole Trinity is good. And so we want to embrace the Holy Spirit and we as Christians, as believers, should expect a series of spiritual events to occur in our life. It's not just, you know, I get saved and I'm done. But the Holy Spirit, of course, prompts us and tugs at our heart when we aren't even believers. And then the Spirit is strong in us when we make that profession of faith. And, and there are further experiences with God as we go. Isn't it nice to know that God isn't done with you yet? That it isn't just over. Well, I believe now I'm waiting to die. No. The heart changes happen. The empowerment happens. The spiritual experiences continue to happen over time. And we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit. Which is more important, fruit or gifts? Fruit, very good. We learned that from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you can do all kinds of amazing, wonderful things, but you don't love other people, what does it count for? It counts for nothing. That's what the Bible says. So fruit is first. The fruit of the Spirit. The heart of God in our heart. That's what we need. Love, joy, peace, patience. The whole thing. The fruit of the Spirit. Then we talked about gifts of the Spirit. This week, we're going to talk about tensions in going deeper with God. Tensions in going deeper with God. So let's pray and let's uh, get into the new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You today for Your Holy Scriptures. I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would just bless our time this morning. Help us to uh, see the things we need to see. Help us to grow in You and help us to take a step forward in serving You today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. What an amazing thing it is that we have these Scriptures in our hands. It's incredible. Tensions in going deeper. <clears throat> we have an amazing opportunity before us to have the Holy Spirit in us. To receive the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. To be Spirit-led. We have an amazing opportunity before us. Do you want more of God? Amen. A deeper experience with the things of God. Absolutely. Greater fruit and greater spiritual gifts. Do you want those things? Absolutely. That sounds great, doesn't it? But boy, when we do that in a group setting and we really try to embrace the things of God, it can, it can create some snares, some roadblocks, some issues can come up. Here's the classic thing that happens. A group of people is like, we want more of God. And so they start reaching out for the things of the Holy Spirit. And then it's going great. And then something 
something happens, right? Something strange happens or somebody does something wrong or somebody's got to, you know, just something happens. And then the group is like, oh, okay. And they pull away from the things of the Spirit. They pull away from from the things of God and just kind of settle into a safer, simpler dynamic. Have you seen that happen? How do we try to go deeper into the things of God, grab hold of the supernatural, and not get into weird things that drive people away and and cause issues and cause problems? How do we do that? There's some tensions there. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, One of our core values at Good Hope Church is creating a safe, free, and loving environment where the Spirit can move. Doesn't that just sound nice? Creating a safe, free... I came up with that, man. A safe, free, and loving environment where the Spirit can move. It sounds wonderful, but there's a hidden tension in that phrase because safe and free are opposed to each other. Safe means we're completely under control. We know exactly what's going to happen and, and we've, we've got it. It's safe. Free means... It's not under control and we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and free isn't safe. And safe isn't free. So how do we manage that? How do we navigate that tension? Um, it can be a little bit tricky. We've got a specific strategy at Good Hope that I'll mention here in a little bit. But the key is to love people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ and all the different gifts, but it's still one Spirit. We're all on the same team, even though we're different. We have different roles and different abilities. The gifts of the Spirit is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the fruit of the Spirit. We have to love each other. If we don't love each other, none of this matters. And so love is the key to holding things together when we try to go deeper. And then chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is talking about specific roadblocks and issues that can come up when you try to go deeper in a congregational setting. Isn't isn't that helpful? Right there. There's a chapter on that in the Bible. Well, let's look at that chapter and see what it has to say because that may help us out quite a bit. Let me set the stage. The Corinthian church, the church in Corinth, was a Pentecostal church. And what I mean by that is, they were a miracle-believing, tongue-talking, prophecy-yelling bunch of people in their weekly or however often they had church. I don't know how that all went. Probably it was Saturday and Sunday, and then maybe some other times as well. Because Saturday was the Sabbath, and Sunday was the Lord's Day, because He rose on Sunday. So they had a Sabbath meeting usually on Saturday, and then Sunday was the celebration service of the resurrection. So That's why we have two-day weekends, you know, instead of just one. Isn't it great to have two-day weekends? Yay, Jesus' resurrection! You know, otherwise, because Sunday was Monday before. You you went to work on Sunday. That was the first day of the week. Then they took Sunday off after that, so pretty good deal. The Corinthian church was a Pentecostal church. They were having at her. 
The Apostle Paul was a Pentecostal leader. He's a miracle-believing, you know, uh, victory-praying, you know, tongue-talking leader. And he's dealing with this church in Corinth. And the reason that the Corinthian church was like that and the Apostle Paul was like that is because that was the normal Christian biblical experience. In the New Testament times, that was how it went. They saw lots of miracles happen. God fell and amazing things occurred in in people's just right in front of them and in their own hearts. It's just how it went in the New Testament. And I'm, you know, people ask what I believe. I say, well, I believe the New Testament is, is now. I mean, we're still in the New Testament era. It's not that we're in a new... New Testament era. We're in the New Testament era. So this is something that can apply to us as well. But not everybody in New Testament times was a Pentecostal believer. In fact, most people in those days didn't believe in Jesus at all. Right? So generally speaking, in the culture, it wasn't a Christian culture and it wasn't a Spirit-filled Christian culture. It was a Jewish culture and they would have people come to church. And so that would create some tension because they wouldn't know what was going to happen and how it all worked. And besides that, the Corinthian believers were somewhat immature in their faith. And you know, have you ever been... uh, If you're a mature Christian, I'm guessing there was a period before that where you were an immature Christian. You know, that it's very likely that that's the case. Very few people just sort of jump in. And what being an immature believer, you know, they're the super enthusiastic ones. You know, they're super excited and they're on fire for Christ and that sort of thing. And they're good people, but they do dumb stuff. Right? An immature an immature. Christian is a good person, but they do dumb stuff. My favorite story is a, a friend of my father-in-law's, you know, got saved and he's just like, whoa, you know, God can do anything. And he's just super excited. And there was a big thunderstorm. They're living in Illinois, big thunderstorm. And so this guy goes out in front of his house and, and he's like, Jesus told the, you know, he calmed the storm. I'm going to do the same thing. So he goes outside and he's like, Peace be still, you know, and, and there was a, it was a huge thunder, uh, lightning bolt strikes like in his yard and he ran back in the house, you know, scared to death, that sort of thing. That's immature belief. Good person doing something stupid, you know, like that, that can happen. But when that happens in a group setting, boy, it can hurt other people, right? It can cause issues. People can go, what's going on here, you know? And so that's, the situation that we're in. We've got uh, Pentecostal believers with a Pentecostal leader in a non-Pentecostal world where there's a lot of immaturity that's happening. Now, I want people to invite people to church next week. But in order to invite somebody to church, you want to know that it's safe to invite them, right? When my oldest graduated from high school, we had his graduation party here at noon on Sunday. Because I'm like, 
well, we're going to trick my family into coming to church one way or another. And so we'll have his graduation party at the church at noon. And so you might as well just, you know, come to the to the service and then you can just stay for the graduation party. So my dad and my uncle came to church here. And I'm thinking, oh, please, don't somebody go off, you know, oh, please, today's not the day, you know, next week would be fine. Come on. Have you ever been in that place? You know, so there's tension there. We don't want to push away the things of God. But man, there's some days we're just like, please, not today. So how do we navigate that? How do we understand that? That's discussed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to separate the chapter into three basic parts. Goals. The Apostle Paul gives them goals. Here's what we're looking for, guys. Goals. He talks about tensions. You know, this this is going to be an issue. This is going to be difficult to navigate. There's the tensions. And then... Paul's conclusions, his directions. Here's what you should do. So let's look. And of course, you don't think we're going to completely finish this topic in the next 15 minutes, do you? So there will be lots unsaid, but hopefully this will be helpful. Let's look at first the goals. The first goal that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is the goal of having the presence of God in the service. Don't we want the presence of God here? Have you been in church and you just feel the presence of God? This is described in 1 Corinthians 14 verses 24 and 25. Paul says, if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Isn't that what we want when we invite somebody to church? God is here. Oh, and they just are, they just crumble before the Lord in the presence of God, they they connect with God. It's powerful, isn't that? Wouldn't that be great? That's the goal. The goal is to have the presence of God right here in our services. A second goal is for individuals to be benefited. When you come to church, you want to get something. Yes, yeah, it's okay. You want to give too, okay? We'll get to that in a little bit. But you do want to receive. Right? I mean, you don't just come to church just to sit and put in your time and go home. We want something. I want something. I'm the preacher guy. I want to receive something. It's good to be expectant. The second goal is for the individual to be benefited. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So this is specifically talking about people who speak during the service, they should speak in such a way as to strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. Wouldn't it be great to come to church, feel the presence of God, be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? So far, so good. This is going good, isn't it? This is, this is some good stuff. The presence of God plus people being strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Hey, that's a good goal. 
Third goal is to have the church be strengthened as a whole. Verse 26, same chapter. What shall we say then, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. The goal is the strengthening of the church. And of course, all the pieces of the body of Christ need to come together for the church to be strengthened. But this is also saying, when you do those things, don't do them for selfish gain, do them to strengthen the church. For example, when you come and sing a hymn, you're not coming to sing a hymn, aren't I wonderful and, and pretty and everybody wants to look at me while I sing my hymn. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to strengthen the church. Now you know, of course, that it's not the the worship team up front and the audience here, right? This is the, the choir directors are here. The choir is here and the audience is there. You, you get that? I'll say that again. The choir directors are there. The choir is here. And the audience is in heaven. That's how that works. So the hymn being sung isn't being sung for my personal gain to strengthen the church. And the same with all the other pieces of the body of Christ. So those are three goals to usher in the presence of God, that individuals may be benefited, strengthened, encouraged, that the group as a whole, the church would be strengthened. These are good goals, right? These are good things. But there's tensions involved as well. I love the first one. Verse 23. The first tension is that if you go deeper into the things of God, into the spiritual things, into supernatural things, people are going to think that you're just nuts. That's verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Isn't it nice to know the Bible says that? They're like, hey, if you're going to act that way, people are going to think you're goofy. That's what the Bible says. Okay. Why are they going to think that? Because that's the most logical conclusion. That's, that's why they're going to think that. Uh, so it's important to be able to present yourself accurately. Now, the assumption, of course, is that they would be misunderstanding. Right? Because in in this particular case, these guys are giving thanks well enough but they can be misunderstood. We need to not be misunderstood. That's one of the tensions. How do you communicate to somebody who doesn't understand without appearing to be out of your mind? There's a tension there. You don't just go spewing everything. But there's a tension. How do we still seem sane? Second, people can become alienated from the group, verses 11 and 12. If then I do not grasp the meaning of, of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. That's good. We just do verse 11. I am a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. If something happens in the service and you go, what in the world was that? You're now a foreigner to the speaker. There's an alienation. There's a separation. Of course, if somebody just starts speaking in tongues and you're like, wow, what was that? But even if somebody gives a, a prophetic word in English and you go, wow, what was that? 
there's an alienation that can occur. There's a, you know what I mean? There's, you become a foreigner to the speaker. I'm not one of them. What was that? So there's a tension now, isn't there? There's a tension. There can be people view you as crazy. There can be an alienation, a separation, become foreigners. We don't want that. Another tension, verses 16 and 17. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? Verse 17. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So if I'm praising God in my spirit, thus indicating that I'm saying things that other people can't understand, it's a, it's a, a heavenly language, that sort of thing, um, not English, not a language you understand. You're just praising God in a spirit language. You may be giving thanks well enough, but you're not benefiting the person next to you. You're not helping them. And this starts to tie into that thing of for the strengthening of the whole church. All things must be done for the strengthening of the church. So yes, I am here to receive something from me, but I don't want to hinder somebody next to me receiving. You know, Aaron, I love Aaron. You know, Aaron Aaron Wilfong, uh, if you don't know him, you will. Just keep, keep coming to church, you'll know Aaron. Aaron's from West Virginia. West Virginia is closer to Jamaica, worship-wise. I mean, they're jumping around, they're laying on the ground crying and doing whatever. And Aaron tells me, he's like, i got to be careful because one time I was just praising God and I smacked this lady right in the face. You know, he's just like, oh, and just bam! You know, it's like, so she was not edified when, when he slapped her in the face. And so you've got to be aware of that, right? I mean, he was praising God well enough. But the woman next to him was not edified. And so we need to be careful not to hurt those who are near us. But that can happen. That's a tension. You know, it's a tension. How do you not, especially like somebody who's, you know, afraid of God and, and it has been taught, the only thing they remember from church is you sit quiet, boy. You know, that's the only thing they remember, you know. And so now they're coming to church, people are jumping around and they're like, ah, you know, it can be a very difficult thing for people to handle. Um, the other person is not edified. There's a tension there. So do we want to just go bam and go wild? Or, I mean, isn't that deeper with God? But then what about other people? There's a tension. The fourth tension. Even if you're the one involved, you might not know what's going on. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What does that mean? That means if you're praying in tongues, you don't know what you're praying about. People sometimes get nervous about that. They're like, what if I'm praying something that's bad? I mean, I don't even know what it is. Well, here, if it's from God, it's good. The benefit to that is it allows me to be able to pray beyond my understanding. I only understand a few things. You know, I can pray for certain things. But wow, if the Holy Spirit can guide my prayer into things that I don't understand, that could open up a whole new realm of possibility for effectiveness in prayer. But attention is, my mind is unfruitful. I don't know 
what's going on. Now, if the person themselves doesn't know what go, what's going on, how about the person next to them? There can be some tension, some uncomfortableness, right? Huh, how do we manage this? So, now let's go to some of the conclusions from this chapter, some of the directions, the directives that Paul gives. The first thing to understand when talking about this is um, <clears throat> in this chapter... Paul definitely describes tongues as edifying you and prophecy as edifying others. Now, tongues is just, it's me uh, praying in a prayer language, praising God in a prayer language. If you're familiar with that, awesome. If not, uh, that's, as, that's as much description of that as I'm going to give this morning. Um, <clears throat> but hopefully you've heard of that. And if not, you can do some research on it and that sort of thing. But uh, in verse... Um, Four, it talks about speaking in tongues, edifying the person who speaks in tongues. That means it strengthens, teaches, encourages the person who's speaking. But prophecy edifies others. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So prophecy is just speaking, speaking as a representative of God. So like even the, even the sermon is prophecy. I'm speaking as a representative of God. I'm trying to do my best. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm hearing God say something and I'm just repeating what he's saying. That's not how it works with me. Um, but I do pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to share with these people? They need something good from you. I don't want to just go up there and talk and say stuff that doesn't mean anything. You know, Lord, show me what to say. And I pray and then I have things to say. And so... That should edify the church. That should be a benefit to others. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for. That's what this is talking about, among other things. That could be a short word. Somebody shares something that's a minute long in, in the middle of the worship set or something like that. That sort of thing can be that prophecy that the intention is to edify the church if it's working right. But speaking in tongues edifies the individual. Is it good to be personally edified? Yeah, that's good. Is it also important to take into consideration what's happening with people near you? Yes, that's good. So we want to have personal edification. We also want to edify the group. And here's what Paul, the Apostle Paul says about that in verse, verses 18 and 19, how he manages that tension of making sure I get personally edified while also benefiting the group. So Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So apparently the Apostle Paul was a very, very Pentecostal individual. Because this is the Corinthian church. He's saying, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So what he's saying is, if I'm going to speak out loud in front of the group, I'm going to talk to them in their language. If I'm praying and worshiping God myself, I may pray in a prayer language. That's what Paul is saying. Okay. That can happen both, of course, I think one of the main things he's referring to here is just personal devotional prayer and worship time with God, just you and God. It's a great time to use prayer languages and that sort of a thing. But also in a worship environment, that can still happen. Just speak quietly. You know, just between you and God. 
You don't have to be loud so as to bother the people next to you, but you can still be personally edified. Praising God in your prayer language is not super loud. That's a pretty nice directive, isn't it? Seems reasonable. All right, so there's one. Second one, have some discernment. One of the things that amazes me is how you can, you know, the sound equipment can go bad and nobody thinks it's heresy. You know, you can sing the wrong key, nobody thinks it's heresy. You know, the sidewalk needs to be shoveled better, nobody thinks it's heresy. You say a prophetic word a little bit off, oh, the world's coming to an end. You know, like, just relax, it's okay. Have some discernment. That's what it says in uh, verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. So if somebody says, you know what, I really feel like the Lord is saying that there's someone in here who, who needs to apologize to their husband. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's just what I just feel in my heart that there's someone in here that needs to do that. If that's you, receive it. If not, fine, whatever. And, and that's your prophetic word. Okay? The others should weigh carefully what is said. Why would it say that the others should weigh carefully what is said? Because something might be said that's not right. Right? Otherwise, it would say, and everybody should just do what they say. But it says, weigh carefully what is said. Meaning that, hey, these are people doing stuff. They're trying the best they can, but they might mess something up. Should you weigh carefully what I say? Absolutely. Have some discernment. But don't be afraid if somebody else does something wrong. It's not a big deal. You know, but of course, trust the right people. But learn for yourself. Realize, okay, I have the same relationship with God. I have access to that that everybody else does. You know, Pastor Mike doesn't have a special in with God. Everybody has access to the Father. They have the same access. So you can judge what I say. But... Do it honestly. Have some discernment. Very important. Should I tell people that? Anyway. Third, feed your spirit and feed your mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. This was the one talking about when my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. So what Paul is saying here is, yes, go into the spiritual things, but don't reject the intellectual things at the same time. It's okay to understand and pray in the spirit. Do both. They're not opposed to each other. Do both. And then we got the bottom line. I love chapters like that. The bottom line. What's the bottom line? Verses 39 and 40. The end of the chapter says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So be eager to prophesy. Be ready to give a message to somebody. Have you ever had that happen where you know you're just supposed to tell somebody something? That's a prophetic word. It's a word from God. You just know I'm supposed to tell them this. Well, go ahead and tell them. And by the way, you can phrase it in 
normal modern phraseology. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord, and talk real loud, you know, and, and pretend you're holding the Ten Commandments. And, you know, you, you don't have to do that. You can just say, you know what, I just feel impressed. I was praying and I think, I think God wanted me to tell you this. And then just tell them. Then they can either say, well, no, you're just wrong. Or they can go, wow, I think that it, that is God. And there isn't that, that messiness that can happen. Just phrase it the right way. Be eager to prophesy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. So uh, should we forbid speaking in tongues? No. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So fitting and orderly, that's a little vague. Here's what fitting and orderly means at Good Hope Church. There are people that I have released to give prophetic words in the church service. People I don't know, I have not released. And so if they start to talk, I say, hey, you know what, we've got a policy here. Only people that I've approved can uh, can speak in the service. Um, I'm sure you're awesome. Let's have lunch after church. I'll get to know you and maybe I'll release you after that. But right now, sorry, we can't do that. And so that creates the safe. But the free is, we've got people on the prayer team. We've got people who have been released who who can share a message that I trust. And so now we're free. So that's fitting and orderly. What we're trying to do, now that we're growing and it, it gets a little more complicated, I want the people to come stand like here. You know, so you may see, see somebody awkwardly standing here and then I'll say something like, that person awkwardly standing here wants to share something with the congregation. And then they'll come up to the microphone and speak. So we know it's not just somebody random that nobody knows trying to take over the service. You know, we don't want that. So fitting an orderly way. How's that? Feeling good? Sweet. All right, we're going to close. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. Um, here's the last thought. Some people say to me, I don't speak in tongues. So, okay, what should you do? Um, first thing, don't hate people who do speak in tongues. <laughs> that's, that's, isn't that an important one? Okay, I don't speak in tongues. Okay, don't hate people who do. That's good. That's important. Don't do that. Um, follow the way of love. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Co- love covers over a multitude of differences. Love is the way of God. Love people. Second, be open, but not pressured. I've seen a lot of Pentecostal circles where there's pressure. You better speak in tongues or you, you know, that sort of thing. You know, in the old days, I was for, I didn't get saved till the late 80s and didn't get into Pentecostal circles till like 95. But in the old days, they'd bring people down to the altar. They'd pray for five hours, you know, and just screaming at them and trying to get them to speak in tongues and stuff. And, and that, that can be emotionally scarring. <laughs> let's not do, let's not do that. Um, be open, but not pressured. If you don't speak in tongues, you are not a second class believer. Okay, some people feel this like, oh, maybe you don't think I'm good enough. Hey, guess what? You're awesome. But there very well may be a deeper experience with God that you don't see. And I think that's true for everybody. There are deeper experiences with God that we have access to, but we just can't see. Be open to that. And the third thing, just love God. Love God aggressively. Worship God. Seek the Lord. Read His Word. 
praise God, honor and serve God, aggressively love God, and you're doing everything you can do. So let's close. I invite people to come up for prayer. Whatever your prayer need may be, please come up. If you're like, you came here and you're like, I want to be a Christian and now he's preaching on this stuff. Like, I don't know what to do. Hey, just come up. They'll pray with you. <laughs> They'll see you through to forgiveness of sins and being a child of God. That whole deal. Whatever other need you may have, you want a deeper experience with God, you want healing, you, you need reconciliation in a relationship, you've got a loved one who's in a rough spot and you want to intercede for him. Whatever that need may be, come up and pray. We need to be people of prayer. So let's close and then I'll open up the front for prayer. Heavenly Father, You are so good. You are so great. Help us to not be afraid of You. Help us to not be afraid of Your ways. But keep us on the right path. Keep us from straying into things that are just emotion or things that are, are just off and all that stuff. But we want, we want the things of You. And so, Lord, help us to grab hold of those things. Help us to have the fullness of Your Spirit. Help us to have Your joy, Your love, and Your peace in our heart so that we can walk in Your ways. Bless us and encourage us. Lord, give us strength and let Your light shine in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can come on down for prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this morning.